Good morning. My name is Kip Hines. I'm one of the elders here at Calvary. Just have to thank Ben Killerlane for uh, filling in for the last few weeks, <laughs> apparently. Um, Noah's probationary period is not up. Um, he's actually on vacation. He's on his way uh, out to Colorado, or he's actually in Colorado right now. So I'm filling in this week. Ken Hanna said we'll be filling in next week. And so if you're a visitor here this week, you don't really like what's going on, come back in a couple of weeks and uh, our pastor will be back. If you like what's going on, I'll still be here. I'll just be seated at the, seated at the pew. So, um, Anything else I wanted to mention? Or maybe I should just get started on the sermon. Um, I was concerned about the length of today, but then I realized we don't have connection hour, so we could probably go till noon if we really had to. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> well, I've also uh, provided you with a sermon outline here basically to let you know when to wake up again, but otherwise you can also take it home with you, and, and uh, hopefully the Lord will speak to you today. All right, I have a clicker here. Yeah, I thought about just letting Tom do it because I really like the way Ben does his sermons. I thought, well, I'm going to try to do it the same way, but then I realized I'm not Ben. I don't have that much biblical knowledge up here, so I'm just going to have to go with what I know is best, and that's using the PowerPoint presentation. About 20 years ago, that's when I started, started in uh, television in this market. I, I worked for WDAY-TV, and I started as a reporter, and I actually started as the city hall reporter. So you can imagine the excitement of every couple of weeks getting to go to a city council meeting or a, a city commission meeting, how exciting this new job was and how awesome it was. And I don't know how many, I don't think there was a week that went by where there wasn't, and I'm going to jump down here because everybody is shoved back for some reason. But there wasn't a week that went by where there wasn't somebody coming to the commission going, yeah, we need to have this public-private partnership. We just need to, to partner together. We just, you know, you provide this infrastructure, we'll provide this service. And, and, and it was always this, devi- this delineation or this dividing up of, of, uh, of the work that was going on at these city council meetings. Okay, we'll provide the tr- taxing structure, and then you will provide... Um, some of the work or, or whatever. So it was always the uh, trying to figure out exactly who was going to provide what in these public-private partnerships. Usually it was the taxpayers getting stuck with the paying for it part and then some businesses then benefiting from, from uh, some of the profits. That's usually how things work. So I got a little cynical over 20 years of covering that and hearing about it on the news. But generally, you have these partnerships because there is some sort of common interest, the public and private common interest involved to create these public-private partnerships. So we come to our Viking Stadium. Yes, we're going to talk just a little bit foot of football here this morning. This is a stadium that hasn't even been built yet, but because of the so-called public-private partnership that's been involved, this is one of the main factors that the NFL has come up with for saying why Minneapolis has won the Super Bowl. I believe it's Super Bowl 52. What does Super Bowl have to do with us this morning? comes to our partnership with God. It's a little murky in my mind. It has been for the last 42 years anyway. What exactly is our responsibility in our partnership with God? When we come to faith in God, what exactly is our responsibility 
in our partnership with God. And it's a little murky, you know, who does the work when we pray for something? Do we still do something to try to foster, facilitate the answers to that prayer? Who does the work? Who gets credit for it? In my mind, it's still a little murky. We'll try to sort it out just a little bit more as we go on today. I did want to highlight something real quick. Lenny Lukey, who's uh, sitting right here in the front row, he's the elder board chairman. Last couple of months, he's been coming to our elder meetings, and he's been bringing these prayer request sheets. And in addition to the prayer request sheets, on another column is called an action, an action column. What action are we going to be taking? He's been badgering, he's been encouraging us to, <laughs> to take some sort of action when it comes to these prayer requests that we have throughout this congregation. And, you know, at, at first it was just one more thing I got to do, really? And then in studying this, he might actually be on to something, something, something scripturally based there. And if you look back across and survey the Bible, starting with the Old Testament, going all the way through the New Testament, if you take every single miracle that has happened, there has been an action that has precipitated that miracle. If you start with, let's say, Noah's Ark, I could bring up any one of them. You start with Noah's Ark here. I'm sure that guy has never built a boat before. I'm sure that guy never built a boat that big. And I'm sure if he would build it today, provided that God was not involved, it would probably last 40 minutes, not 40 days. So that was an action that took place to, to foster that miracle. If you turn now to the New Testament, and if you look at uh, Peter looking at Jesus to walk on water, he had to continue to look at Jesus to walk on water. That's the only way that miracle happened, was for him to look at Jesus. Who was causing the miracle, the looking or Jesus? Yeah, it gets a little murky. Who's doing, who's doing the action here? Now, if you look at uh, the uh, turning of, of water into wine at the wedding feast, they had to bring the containers of water for it to turn into wine. There had to be an action that took place before that miracle. For the guy that, that was healed at, at the pool, Jesus said, get up and walk. The guy had to get up and walk to trigger that miracle. Now, if you move that to modern day times, and whatever miracle that we need in our lives today, whether it's a, a new job, maybe we are on the in the lookout or on the lookout looking for a spouse, not a new spouse, just a spouse. We could probably just sit back and pray, or maybe we need to take action too. Maybe submit some applications. Maybe put ourselves in a situation where we're meeting more people. Let's say we're preparing for a sermon. We could just pray and hope that everything comes out all right, or maybe we have to take some action and prepare just a little bit. I'm somewhere right in the middle, as you'll probably see as this sermon moves on. But I think another equivalent would be a driver's test. These are simple modern-day examples. Now, we could just sit back and pray and hope that God will help us pass that test. There's no doubt that he's going to be involved if we ask him to help give us the wisdom to help pass that test. But if you've not studied or or are driven at all behind the wheel, you'll probably look much like this. As your instructor grabs the wheel and says, ooh, this test is over. Now, as we turn now to the Bible, specifically Nehemiah, we're going to see that this is a guy that knows clearly where his role is and where God's role is, and together they expect a miracle. Dear Lord,
We just thank you for this day. We just thank you most of all for being you. We thank you for sending your son so that we can have eternal life. And dear Lord, just pray for uh, your anointing upon the rest of this service, dear Lord. We thank you for your presence so far, and we encourage you, we ask you, we beg you to be an active participant the rest of today and the rest of this service. Any distractions? We won't notice them, dear Lord. I'm human, dear Lord. My words are going to get jumbled. They're not going to make sense to some people, but luckily we have your Holy Spirit who can interpret every single thing and give the message to each heart that each person needs to hear today. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Now, when I started my substitute preaching career about three or four years ago, I made two vows to myself. One of them, that I would not ever teach on systematic theology, man-derived theology that helps better organize the Bible. The other one was that I would never teach on the Old Testament. Basically, I have nothing against the Old Testament. It's just I don't understand it as much. It's much bigger than the New Testament. And I love the new agreement that we're working under. I don't like the sacrificing part, part that was going on in the Old Testament. I just don't have lambs available to me on a regular basis. So I love the New Testament. Well, you can see that I um, have kind of gone against one of those vows today. And I thought, why not go against the other one at the same time? Whenever we did our pastor search several months ago, we sent out this questionnaire to potential candidates. And you can see that the very bottom one here, and what's your theology? And this one is no one in particular. This is just a sample. But what's your theology? Do you, do, you, do you lean towards Calvinism? Do you lean towards the Arminian viewpoint? And I'll just quickly summarize some of the contentious points of these. Uh, and I use these fancy diagrams I downloaded from the internet here. But uh, uh, Calvinism, you know, if God loves people, then why does he predestine them to uh, suffer eternal damnation? Arminianism, if God is all-knowing and in control, how do we have control over, over our salvation by, uh, by making that choice to put our faith into God? I like this better. It's a t-shirt that simplifies it. Um, and you can wear one side on the front and the other on the back. So Calvinism, this shirt chose me, or Arminianism, I chose this shirt. This just basically summarizes those two differing viewpoints when it comes to coming to faith. Now, I bring this up because it is confusing, and I don't really care where you stand. I don't even know where I stand on this issue. The point is that the Bible makes it clear that no matter where you stand that there has to be action involved with your faith, that you just can't sit back and faith is going to happen to you, that action has got to be involved in your faith. And, and, it, and Nehemiah makes this extremely clear. Now, I was having lunch with Pastor Ben earlier this week, and, and we talked a little bit about this, and he said the beauty of um, these the theological viewpoints is that they're not exactly clear in the Bible, one way or another. And that means that it doesn't really matter. If God hasn't made it expressly clear in the Bible, then we shouldn't spend so much time arguing about it. That's why I'm moving past and saying no matter which viewpoint you, you side on, the Bible is clear as we turn to Nehemiah that 
you do have to take action when it involves your faith. As we look at verses 7 through 8 in chapter 4 of Nehemiah, the first thing that we see happening is that Nehemiah assesses the situation. I'm just going to set up Nehemiah just a little bit. Um, It was about 600 B.C. where uh, Jerusalem was basically destroyed. People were run out of town, and uh, they were exiled from, from Israel, from Jerusalem. And about 150 years later, um, Ezra and Nehemiah got involved in the rebuilding of the temple and uh, also the walls around Jerusalem. Ezra was basically involved with the temple rebuilding, Nehemiah involved with the uh, rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem in about 450 B.C. Now, he was a, uh, somebody who tasted wine for the king. That's how he, he got uh, favor with the king. He, wanted, he was the one who tasted the wine to make sure it wasn't poisonous. So that's how he became so influential with the king. So he got together with the king and said, hey, can we re- rebuild Jerusalem? And the king said, sure. So then he got together with uh, the religious leaders of the day, and he said, hey, we need to really rebuild the place where we come to worship, our place, Jerusalem. And the religious leader said, hey, hey let's go for it. Well, you don't just rebuild the walls in a day. So in addition to the fact that they have this huge task of rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls, they are surrounded all the way around by enemies. Every single side, somebody wants to get them. That's why they need a wall around Jerusalem. Starting with verse 7. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So all their enemies... On all sides were plotting against them. Nehemiah knew this. So he remembered that as he was assessing their situation, that he's in a partnership with God at the time. And what's his solution? As we turn now to Nehemiah 4, 9, the first part of that verse. But we prayed to our God. That was his first reaction. And as he uh, prayed to his God, the reason why he prayed, it was pretty simple, that he was trusting God to do the work as they rebuilt the uh, the temple, trusting his Lord and Savior to join him in the partnership in rebuilding the temple. If we continue now with verse 9, the second part of the verse, comes the action part. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. 
Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the walls. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When your enemies heard that we are aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. So if you look at verse 15 here especially, when you see that the enemies had heard that the... The, Israeli, the Israelites, the, the Jews, they were aware of the plot, that their enemies were aware of their plot, and that God had frustrated it. It would be easy to look, you know, if I was in part of rebuilding that wall, say, you know, I came up with this plan to rebuild this wall, I came up with this plan to station people all along the wall with swords, spears, and all kinds of other weapons. I came up with a pretty good plan, didn't I? Yeah, it was pretty awesome, wasn't it? Because then when the enemy heard about my plan there, yeah, they they didn't even bother coming over because, yeah, I put together this great plan. Yeah, thanks, God, for helping me put together this great plan. That's not what Nehemiah does here. He's very, very direct in coming up with a plan and saying God is going to help us out with this plan, but in addition to God doing all the work, we have to do our part. We're going to stay stationed all along this wall here with weapons, and we have to determine that this is part of the answer to prayer that's going, going on here whenever we are rebuilding the wall, that we just can't sit back and pray to God and and expect him to do everything. We actually got to get involved here, hand in hand with God, for this miracle to take place. I was just going to go back to verse 14 and 15 whenever we uh, move along to point four reassessing your situation. But then I read earlier this week uh, through the rest of that chapter, and I figured, you know, the rest of that chapter is really going to apply to this as well. So as we move on to, uh, we'll start out with verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. So the plan had changed here a little bit. Instead of everybody being on the lookout and fighting at all times, half of the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. 
the officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials and did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine going to your job and doing your work with one hand, holding a spear with the other? How much work would get done? And my job, not a lot, because I'm not a multitasker. I'd be focused on either my job and then get attacked because I wasn't holding my spear, or I'd be too focused holding my spear that I wouldn't get my job done. But that was the reassessment that Nehemiah took here, that, okay, the threat has been thwarted a little bit, but we're still going to stay guard. God has met us here. He has helped us with this miracle here, but we are still going to reassess the situation, come up with a different plan of attack, and we're still going to have half of us on guard, and even when we're working, we're still going to have one hand on our swords and spears. And each of the builders wore his own uh, sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. I just love this. Because Nehemiah has no doubt in his mind that even though he is coming up with a plan, that he is reassessing his situation, that he is leading the rebuilding of these walls, Nehemiah has no doubt in his mind who's going to be doing the fighting. All the theologies were developed well past Nehemiah's time, but he he understood without a shadow of doubt that God was doing the work, yet it was his efforts that, was trigger, that were triggering the miracle. Continuing on with verse 21. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and as workers by day. Wow. When do you sleep? Serve as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. So as Nehemiah was reassessing his situation as they were rebuilding the, temp, uh, the uh, walls of Jerusalem, he realized that even though the initial attack, initial attack was thwarted, he realized that he had to reassess the situation and continue to pray and continue to realize that God was going to meet him at their next miracle. But he also had to realize... And he also did realize that he had to possibly come up with another action plan. As other parts of the wall got rebuilt, and they maybe had to change their focus from an already rebuilt part of the wall to another part of the wall around Jerusalem, he realized that he had to, it was part of his partnership with God to reassess the situation and come up with another plan. Now apply that to today. 
we as a church, we all have certain ideas of the way a church service should be, the programs that we should have. And you may, over the next couple of years, see some changes in those programs. But believe me, all we are doing as a church is reassessing our situation, trying to come up with another action plan and believing God for a miracle here at Calvary. Hopefully some of those actions with prayer will trigger a miracle. That's us us as a congregation. What miracles do you need in your life right now? Healing? Financial? Relationship? If you're praying, what actions are you taking to trigger the miracle in your life? Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for the example of Nehemiah, dear Lord, that clearly shows us our responsibility to take action and to meet you when you perform a miracle, dear Lord. And let us not cloud the facts. It is you performing miracles, dear Lord. All we have to do is show up. So, dear Lord, as we move throughout the rest of this service and we move beyond these walls, dear Lord, dear Lord, we just pray that you will give us a little bit to take, along, take beyond these walls and minister to people outside of these walls and show them a Savior they desperately need. Let them see you in us. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. We'll ask the ushers to come forward now. look at, uh, perhaps look at this, our, our offering as a, uh, another example of uh, us praying for God to, to supply our needs to, to do that miracle, but us taking action here. This is, this is our part of the miracle of God's provision for the needs of this church, for the outreach that we do that we are part of here, the missionaries that we support, the, the outreach activities that we do. Uh, this is your chance to, to take action. So just uh, have in mind what uh, you would what you would give this morning. Just make it a, a free choice under no obligation, but make it a part of an act of worship and an act of reliance on God to provide the needs of our church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would take this, uh, this offering this morning and, and as you took the, the fish and the loaves, multiply it and make it into something that provides for 
hundreds and thousands and perhaps even millions to to uh, be able to taste of the blessing that you pour out upon us. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
Thank you so much, Oksana, for allowing the Lord.